You're listening to episode number 104 of the Self-Care Sunday podcast, and today's episode is self-care tips with interior designer Jessica Velasquez. Welcome back. You're listening to another episode of the Self-Care Sunday podcast. My name is Kaylee, and I started this podcast after experiencing intense burnout from my first startup and really wanted to create a minimal media project to essentially document my own mental health and business journey, as well as interview women who inspire me and who can share tips on self-care, mental health, and entrepreneurship that I haven't quite mastered yet. So in this podcast, we talk about everything related to social media, entrepreneurship, creativity, and of course, self-care. And this week, I do have a guest with me. Her name is Jessica Velasquez, and I am so excited to introduce you to her. But before we get into that, take a screenshot of this week's episode if you're listening, post it on Instagram and tag at Sunday. It helps new people find the show, and if you haven't already, leave a rating and a review, which also helps boost the Apple Podcast algorithm. So every week I've been sharing a weekly self-care recommendation, which is basically something that I'm loving this week, something that has been part of my self-care routine, whether it is a book, a podcast episode, or a product. And this week's recommendation is a product kind of tied in with our interior design conversation today. It is a white humidifier that I found a couple of months ago. Um, I'm sure like many of you, I have gone through so many of those cute little diffusers that are meant to diffuse like your essential oils or be desktop mini diffusers. But honestly, I think it's kind of a scam in the self-care industry because most of those things just don't work like they're supposed to. And so I was on the hunt for a humidifier that was actually effective, but I also wanted something that was going to fit into the aesthetic of my room. I have an all-white bedroom, white curtains, white walls. I love having a really bright and white space, and as much as it may be basic of me to care about the aesthetic of things, as you'll realize in this conversation today with Jessica, being happy in our space and like being happy with the things that we're looking at is actually so important for our mental health. And so I was on the hunt for a very specific humidifier that was all white, really sleek, minimal, but also effective and does a really good job of filling your room and doing what it's supposed to do. I found the perfect one, you guys. Um, This is an Amazon affiliate link, so if you do purchase from it, I make a tiny commission at no extra cost to you, but I have been using this humidifier probably since, I want to say February maybe. It's been a couple of months at least, and in the really cold and harsh Alberta weather and air, which is so dry here, it has been a absolute lifesaver for my skin, so I'm highly recommending. I'm going to leave the link to this product in the show notes below, and if you end up purchasing, let me know what you think. This week's guest is Jessica Velasquez, who studied interior design in Toronto, a field she combined with real estate when she returned to her native country of Panama. For years, Jessica was known as the realtor designer by the many expats retiring there, and her background helped them envision the potential of properties and turn their investment into places they could call home. After relocating with her family to Calgary in 2011, she opened Interiors by Jessica, but it wasn't until 2018 when her niche was born. Yes, she is an interior designer with real estate background, 
but she prefers the title of first home design specialist because more than design and decorate, she coaches first-time homeowners to get rid of the limiting beliefs killing their dream homes. Jessica is all about empowering her first-time homeowners to take control of their environment with intention, to turn their Pinterest boards into reality based on budget and timeline, and regain the design confidence that so many lose on the way. In today's episode, I'm talking with Jessica about where her passion for design comes from, how to find your interior design style, how to turn your Pinterest boards into reality, easy tips to make your space instantly better, and her thoughts on the future of interior design post-COVID. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, Jessica. Thank you so much for coming on Self-Care Sunday today. Thank you. I'm... So excited to have this conversation with you because I think with the past year being in lockdown and spending so much time in our homes, I think I really wanted to have a conversation around how our spaces and our environments affect our self-care and our moods and our mental health. And you're the perfect person to have this conversation with. But before we get into all of that, I would really love if you could just share some of your story. You can share as little or as much as you want, but how did you get to this place that you're at now? Thank you. First of all, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here and and to talk about self-care. How did I get here? I always wanted to study interior design. Always did. Graduated in Toronto. Then I am from Panama originally. I graduated, got married, took my husband, my Calgarian husband. He was in Toronto then. Took him to Panama, and I had all the plans of doing interior design. But I did not like the design culture in Panama and the construction and dealing with the trades. I got very, very discouraged and disappointed. So motivated by my dad, I went into real estate. And I was dealing or working a lot with expats who were relocating to Panama So I was helping them not only find their homes, but also furnish it and kind of transform it into a second home or an investment property. Fast forward years after that, we moved back to Calgary and this time motivated by my husband, I started doing interior design fully in Calgary. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about pick your niche and clarify your message and all that. And I was really doing some soul searching as to who I wanted to serve. I thought that combining my real estate experience with interior design was the perfect match. And then I decided to work with first-time homeowners, primarily because I was a first-time homeowner once. And I remember what it was like moving into my first home with all these dreams and all these ideas of what I wanted to do. But a lot of my savings had gone into the down payment and the closing fees and the moving fees and all these random expenses that you're like, what? Now I'm a homeowner. Now I need to face all these things. So those dreams and ideas got kind of pushed aside. And being an interior designer, I wanted to do it right from the beginning. I wanted to just do it perfectly. If I was going to change the countertops, I might as well change the cabinets and the floors and the lighting. And so it went and it took me five years, not because I renovated for me, because we sold the house. And then I ended up doing a lot of those things that I wanted to do, but I didn't enjoy them. My buyer did. And That was eye-opening for me because I realized that in the waiting and the hoping that everything's perfect, time goes by. And 
we have to be more intentional about how we go about in our surroundings, in our homes. And I know that's prevalent in a lot of first-time homeowners. I just know that because I talk to them I'm in a lot of decor, private Facebook groups, and I see their questions. And I know that there is a gap between first-time homeowners and interior design and the ones who are upgrading, downgrading. They have more you know, financial power. They're Paychecks are bigger, but both groups still have the same needs. Both groups still have the same dreams. So there's a big gap. So I'm trying to breach that gap. I'm connecting a lot with that side of home ownership and hoping to bring awareness that a good design home is not a luxury reserved for those who can afford it. It's more like a right. It's, it's your duty. So that's where I'm at right now. And I'm hoping that as I talk to more first-time homeowners, I'm inspiring them to take action and not wait like I waited five years to just, you know, be intentional about enjoying your home mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. I have so many questions for you, even just about your story before we jump into everything else. I'm really curious what originally got you interested in interior design because you've been doing it for so long now it sounds like it's a really big part of your identity and Mm -hmm. the way that you view the world where did that start good question you take me back to probably when I was 11 or 12 there's four kids in my family I'm the oldest my two sisters are really into cooking and baking they were the ones helping my mom cook and I would do the dishes and I was the one (laughs) putting everything nice, moving furniture. I remember clearly that maybe when I was 13, 14, I would move everything around my room and rearrange it. I think it just came natural that I wanted to be in a space where I felt comfortable. And that has been kind of my my motivation. I want to be comfortable where I am. I want to love it. I want to feel good. And it's been like that since I was very young, like a teen, a tween. 12, 13 years old. To this day, my sisters are the ones who taste my mom's sauce. She's, she calls them. She doesn't call me. She calls them. <laughs> and so you grew up in Panama. You immigrated to Canada. I don't know if I actually told you this before we got on this call, but my mom immigrated from El Salvador and met my dad here in Canada and they got married and had me. I, know I always that. love. Yeah. And so I feel connected to Latin culture in that way and love speaking with other Latina entrepreneurs. And I think that there's like something very special about the way that we approach the things that we do and this certain fire and passion. Do you find that that part of your identity has shaped your business or the way that you approach things or the way that you work with clients at all? I think it has made an impact in how I deal with other women that have immigrated to Canada. And I do have a lot of clients who are immigrants. A lot of them are not just Latino women. Actually, most of them are from Africa. And I think there's a connection between understanding a culture within another culture. Because at the end, we bring our culture with us. It doesn't have to be just the country where you're born, right? It could be your family culture. But we bring it with us and we're living in a different culture. So maybe that's a part of me that connects with them. You know, the design contract and terms. I develop a good relationship with my clients and some of them we talk and we consider each other friends. 
So I think that is part of what I bring in also with my background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I think it's really interesting that you work with people from all backgrounds and immigrant first time homeowners. And specifically, I want to talk about kind of being that first time homeowner. So this house that I'm in now This is a house that my family bought for my sister and I, and it's like our first home together. Was always a renter before that. So this house has been like a fun project for my dad mostly to be renovating and helping us make it kind of what we want it to be. And also just learning what our style is. I really didn't know what my style was or what I wanted the house to be. And so how do you help clients in that situation just even envision like oh what could this be when you don't really even know where to start oh my gosh you just asked me three (laughs) questions in one and (laughs) one of my favorite topics so you asked about how to find your style how to envision and where to start and actually Kaylee that's one of my favorite topics I'm gonna say that again okay perfect (laughs) So how do you find your style? I prefer to talk about mood rather than style. Mm -hmm. If you look at a photo of a room that somebody's saying, oh, this is so modern, somebody else will call it contemporary. Somebody else will say minimalistic. Somebody else will say it's so, I don't know, coastal. There's so many different words, names, labels for styles that it gets confusing. So when I talk to my clients, I tell them, just describe to me the mood. Describe to me the emotions. How do you want this room to feel when you come in. Let's talk about a bedroom, for example. Do you want it to feel serene? Do you want it to feel fun? Do you want it to feel, you know, very hotel-like? And is that hotel-like feeling like a spa? Or is it very luxurious? When we talk about emotions, it's a lot easier to describe our style instead of saying, I'm more eclectic. What is eclectic? No, I'm more bohemian. You know, there's so many labels that when we talk about those different words, it gets confusing. And proof of that is that if you take a photo and you put it in front of five people, five people are going to describe that differently. And five people are going to look at different elements on that photo in a different way. You may be looking at this bathroom and saying, I love this bathroom. And I'm going to say, I love it too. But if I ask you, why do you love it? You may say, oh, I love the tiles. And I'm going to say, oh, I love the lamp, the lighting. So that's one thing. So talk about emotions when you want to talk about your style first. Concentrate on that. And the second thing is to, as you look at photos, and I do encourage my clients to pin. I encourage them to open a Pinterest board. I don't encourage them to pin without action. Because the Pinterest board is not going to create your home. Your actions will. But when you're pinning, pin with purpose. And for that, by that I mean pin what you like, but describe it in the comments. As a personal note, and describe what you like about it. Not just pin because you love it. You got to be able to identify, I love it because the colors 
in the photo make it feel serene or you know all this contrast of colors makes it feel fun and as you describe the photos I believe that you start discovering what you like and then if you have a collection of photos find the common denominator and then you take a step back look at your board and then determine wow all my photos have a lot of white in them or all my photos have a lot of pictures and they're not symmetrical they're arranged in a very asymmetrical way and they're different colors and you start discovering what you like as you pin and as you go through that exercise i think there's a lot of self-awareness too as you're discovering your style i hope that answers the question that's a really good way of discovering mm -hmm. what you like as far as style mm -hmm. your next question was how to create that vision how to envision them and i find that's one of the hardest things because here you have different elements or if you're renovating a bathroom or if you want to put wallpaper on a room you have a sample and it's hard to envision the larger photo, right? The larger result. So I do encourage them to just create that vision of the end result first before you start buying things one by one. And it's kind of a movement I'm trying to promote. Stop the one by one purchasing. I don't know if that's your experience, but the experience that I've had with a lot of homeowners that they buy, they paint the walls first and then they go, okay, I'm gonna see what couch or what kind of furniture goes with that. Or I buy the couch and then I'm starting to define what rug it goes well with that one. So I'm saying stop one by one, create the vision first, and then once you know what this is going to look like, you start purchasing, but you have a really good idea. Otherwise, what happens is that you purchase the couch and then you find, that, let's say, the wallpaper. You love the wallpaper, but it doesn't go with the couch. Or you fell in love right. with the wall color, but now it doesn't go with the rug. And so it goes, but you're tied because you already made the decision. You already paid mm -hmm. for the couch. So take a step back, create that vision. I use a lot of mood boards and I give a class, I give a free class on how to go through the whole process. And then I talk about creating that mood board, which will give you a vision. You won't be able to see it completely unless you pay for a rendering, but the mood board will give you the right vibes and how it would look at the end. Mm -hmm. So that's a really good way. PowerPoint is really good for that. You don't even have to pay for an expensive program, but just put all the things that you like together and it will give you the feeling, the emotions that you're looking for. And you may go like, you know what? That really doesn't go together. And then you start all over again. But the key thing here is that you haven't spent any money, right? You haven't made any purchases. Right. <laughs> you're window shopping, you're playing with things. So yeah, I'm all for creating a vision. All for that, 100%. Mm -hmm. So your last question was about where to start. And that, Kaylee, is one of the top three questions every homeowner has. I don't care if it's a first-time homeowner or long-time homeowner, but everybody goes, where do I start? How much is it going to cost me? And will I like it? Those are the three main questions. But where to start is it's predominant because, you know, here you have these open spaces now. You're like, okay, where do I start? It's open, it's blank, it's neutral. What do I buy first? Do I buy the couch or the wallpaper, the tiles or the countertop? It's so common. And I say start by answering three questions. Number one, what works for you? Number two, the mood, which we talked about, the emotions. And then number three, you choose your inspiration piece. You choose something that you love. 
and then you take colors from that piece and then you start choosing others that go around but first you choose that one piece that really speaks to you that calls you that will catapult your inner designer and then you start choosing things and that one thing could be a chair a piece of art the rug even if it's just a pillow but sometimes you find this one pillow which is really small compared to everything else in the room you find this one pillow that you go like oh my gosh i love it i love the colors and that inspires everything else so it doesn't have to be a big thing but choose what inspires you choose your mood and go with what works for your lifestyle which is everything about self-care it might then trigger other questions mm-hmm. but you start there yeah i love this this is all helpful for me too and i'm picturing rooms in my house so when someone is on a budget which many first-time homeowners are and even like renters i know when i was living in my apartment before this it's like you want to make these changes but there's only so much that you can do as a renter you might have a really limited budget you're in your first job or you're building your career Would you say like having that same process is still what you would follow when you're on a budget? And then like, how do you prioritize what you should be doing? Let me address the topic of renters first, and then I'll move into homeowners because Mm -hmm. the process is the same. What you purchase is different. As a renter, the process is still the same. What works for you, the mood you want to create in your space and what inspires you. But you want to be careful as to what you buy. You don't want to buy things that are permanent. You want to buy things that you take with you. You want to cover what you don't like. And that could be as simple as putting a piece of art or a collection of photos, a removable wallpaper, a tapestry in your bedroom. So you create different focal points to divert the attention of what you don't like in your rental place and that you can't change without you know, investing money on someone else's property. But above that, I hope that every renter realizes that even if their name is not on the title, it's still their place. It's still where they live and it needs to serve them. There are strategies to tackle how you go about purchasing and decorating a rental place But I would hope that every renter takes action and eliminates the belief that, oh, this is not my place, therefore I'm not going to do anything here. Because whether you're staying there for six months or a year, that place still, the place where you may work, study, cook, entertain, connect with family, it still needs to nurture you. So at some point, you have to put in the balance both feelings, you know, investing in a place that is not yours versus investing in your day-to-day life and how this place that is not yours is affecting you. If it's really affecting you and you have to stay there, then I would rather invest and make changes than living day by day in a place where I'm not happy. Does that make sense? Yes, 100%. And then I do find out a lot that a lot of renters are like, no, it's not my place. I'm not going to do anything. And, and they stay there for years. And then you look back, you're like, boy, I could have painted that wall. I could have made that change. <laughs> and you let those years pass. Yeah. When it comes to then mm-hmm. a first-time homeowner with a limited budget, the key thing here is to strategize. Once you have that vision Once you know what you want to buy, remember, you haven't purchased anything yet, right? You strategize and you go, 
you know what? I can work with $1,000 for the next three months. And with these $1,000, this is what I'm going to buy. And it could just be the couch. That's okay. At least you have a vision. At least you know, okay, this is how it's going to look like in, let's say, three years. Even if it takes you three years, but you're working towards something. It is the same process as buying a home. You don't wake up one morning saying, I'm going to buy a house. And then you go to the bank and you meet with a realtor and you purchase a home. (laughs) You meet with a mortgage broker. The mortgage broker tells you, you need to change these things in your credit score and you need to save this much money and you need to increase your income you know so many different things that apply to different people and then you work around that and then you know you have six months or a year or more to make those changes so let's transfer that strategy towards our design our decor and say okay i have two years to do this and this is where i'm heading And this is, according to my budget and my timeline, this is how I'm going to tackle that. And that's exactly what I do. I call it a design strategy. I'm working with a first-time homeowner now. They bought a new build and they're moving in June. And she has this budget. This is her ideal budget. And you got to be very honest with either yourself or a designer and let them know. She told me, I have $3,000 for March, $4,000 for August, and $3,000 for November. And another 2000 for next year because she wants to have a baby. So we have this one year to work with and it's divided into stages. So we know exactly what she's buying, how much it's going to cost her in stages. But she's not buying things, you know, like, oh, this is on sale. I'm going to buy this. Oh, this looks really good. I'm going to buy this. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, boy, now I bought this and I don't have yeah. the money to buy what I really needed. So. There's a lot of strategizing, but I think at the end, it's becoming intentional. Is there things that are absolute, do not do this, or things that are really common mistakes that people do in their interior design that you see and you're like, oh, if just everybody fixed this, spaces would be better already? There's several things. Let's talk about the practical ones and let's talk about the planning ones too. The practical ones would be the walls. Some very common mistakes. I go into homes and their artwork, their photos are too high up or too small for the wall or for the furniture around. So you want to keep the right scale and the right height and the right space between picture frames. Sometimes they're too separated one from another. If you're working with one large piece of art, Make sure that it's at eye level instead of too high up. If you're working with several pieces, group them in a way that it looks like a large piece of art, but leave a space in between that it's not too separated from each other. So you kind of give the illusion that it is one arrangement. So it's about curating it the right way. That's a very, very common mistake. Another common mistake is the size of the area rug. Many people buy them smaller than what the space really needs. So you really want to make sure that the front legs of your couches and your chairs, or even if you have accent chairs, are on the rug and not outside of the rug. Those are very two common mistakes. When it comes to the more planning side of mistakes that are very common is what we've been talking about, like buying without a vision, buying without a plan, without a budget, buying things that 
look good, but they're not necessarily what fits your lifestyle. They're trendy. They look good on Instagram. They look good on Pinterest. But is that really what you need? So always, always, always go with lifestyle rather than style. Those are really good tips. It's like you do this for a living or something. (laughs) I do have a decorating guide and it's free. So everyone can download it. And it's very practical. It's 29 pages of very practical tips on how to place your rug, your artwork, how to install your drapes at the right height. Well, that's another mistake I should mention. Mm -hmm. What I see a lot too is that they install them way too low. And it's amazing the Mm -hmm. difference that it makes to install the curtains higher than your window frame. It just makes the space look bigger. Also, if you install them outside of the window, not just above, but also on the outside of the window frame of the box itself, because it gives this illusion that Mm. the window is so much bigger than what it really is. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. I love that. Okay, we'll make sure to link that in the show notes as well. So people are listening can go check it out. I love that. Another question I had for you is on creating almost boundaries in your life when it comes to your workspace and personal space. I don't know Mm. if you do this and I've heard and read some articles that are like, you know, you shouldn't do any work in your room or you shouldn't have a TV in your room or specific boundaries that you should put in place so that you can have some self-care time or personal time versus when your brain is running. And so I think especially this past year when we're all, for the most part, forced to work from home, my bedroom has become my office and I spend 90% of my time in here. And I don't know if that's an unhealthy thing necessarily, but I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Really good questions. When I was growing up, I was probably 17. We moved into a larger home and it's four siblings. We each had our bedroom. There were TVs everywhere in the living room, in the bonus room, in my parents' room. Each sibling had a TV. And I witnessed how we were all doing our own thing. There wasn't a lot of family time because everybody had their own TV, right? No one needed to share the TV. I personally am a big proponent of no TVs in the bedroom. I I have five kids, so I have a large family. So growing up for us, having one, two TVs, there was one in the living room, one in the bonus room, that's about it. Our kids had to negotiate and they had to share the time. They had to share the TV. They had to talk to each other. So I'm a big proponent of that. However, we have to realize that right now, if you don't have a TV in your bedroom, that doesn't deter you from watching TV in a program in your bedroom. You either have your laptop, your tablet, or your phone. So that concept of no TV in the bedroom has kind of become outdated because of all the technology. (laughs) I still believe that my husband and I have never had a TV in the bedroom because we rather use the time to just talk. And we're really good friends. We love talking to each other. I think if we would have had a TV in the bedroom, we would have spent more time watching a program than talking. It becomes the default. What do we do? Oh, let's watch TV. What do we do tonight? Oh, what's playing on Netflix? So it becomes a default. But again, you know, we're dealing with technology, which is different now. But that's my background. That's where I'm coming from when I say no TVs in the bedroom. But above that, Kaylee, more than that, I believe in lifestyle. 
we can make a lot of changes, follow a lot of what the you know professionals say online, on TV, things that we read. If it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. It needs to be about you. It needs to be about your needs. Mm-hmm. You could, and I'm going to give you a very clear example, very real. I had a client, bought a three-level home. The first level had an office. You come into the house, there's an office there. You go up a flight of stairs, living room, dining room, bathroom, and then another flight of stairs and all three bedrooms. She works from home, especially because of, you know, the way we're living now. And her idea, which sounds really good, at least for me, is to have her office downstairs. For me, it would be ideal. I could do my videos. I could do my interviews. I could see clients separated from everyone around my home. On our interview, she told me I have two little kids. One was two and the other one was four. And I told her, do you feel comfortable working downstairs with your kids playing upstairs? She said, no, I have to be able to see them. So I said, we could design a really beautiful living room, you know, stylish, call it whatever you want to call it. But if you have a beautiful, stylish office downstairs, you're still going to end up working upstairs where you can see your kids. You're still going to be there because that is your lifestyle. That not necessarily a lifelong lifestyle. It's what works for you now. So there's no point on designing something if it's not going to work for you. So back to your question, do we create boundaries? It's ideal because your bedroom becomes your refuge, your sanctuary, the place where you go to refresh, to unwind. If you have your computer right beside your bed, you may be tempted to do that first thing in the morning Mm -hmm. instead of taking care of yourself. And then you're smiling, so I'm assuming it happens. <laughs> yeah. So that would be the ideal. Is that ideal what works for you? Does it fit your lifestyle? Are you going to create this beautiful sanctuary and you're going to say, no, I'm going to have my office outside. And at the end, are you still going to be working in your bedroom because privacy or the lighting is better in your bedroom or you have everything that you need in your bedroom so it really it's a case-by-case scenario my point is that Mm -hmm. you really got to look at it from the needs lens what works for you rather than what experts are saying it's not a one-size-fits-all solution Right. Yeah. And I feel like maybe there isn't one size fits all solutions, especially now with (laughs) the way that the past year has been. It feels like every standard of our lives has been thrown out the window in some ways, but that's a really great way of looking at it. It's really interesting how COVID has changed our spaces. Like right now we're paying Mm -hmm. more attention to our bedrooms. Our homes have become not just a crash pad for some, you know, not just a place that I come at night and I cook and I rest and that's it. I go back to work the next day. It's basically where we're doing everything. I've been reading also that Mm -hmm. most of the houses have open spaces and we, because a lot of people are sharing the home, kids studying, siblings like yourself living with your sister or spouses everybody's working or studying here there's a bigger need for privacy so there's a lot of talks about changing the way architects are designing the newer homes and instead of creating these open spaces everywhere 
providing some privacy, even if it's with those movable walls, movable partitions, screens, but there's a need for privacy and there's a need to create more social gathering spaces around our homes that we can enjoy while at home. So COVID has definitely changed the way we see our homes 100%. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I didn't really think about the future of what this looks like, of what architecture, of what interior design looks like. Do you anticipate after COVID people continuing to spend more time in our houses because we've gotten used to it and we've kind of start to shift our lifestyles? And are you changing the way you think about interior design because of that? Or are you more in the camp that things will go back to normal eventually? I honestly don't think things will go back to normal. I think people will appreciate outdoors more. I think we won't take things for granted as much as we do or we did. But I do think that we'll appreciate our spaces more. COVID has certainly opened our eyes to understanding that our spaces are here to serve us. I put it this way, when we take care of ourselves, and I take some time to take care of myself, to put on a blouse, even if it's just sweatpants that make me feel good, I feel good with myself. I I just feel happier. I'm good, I'm comfortable, it's me. So let's translate that to our spaces. When we take care of our surroundings, it makes us feel good. There's no denying. Let's put it this way. If you are a person that loves to entertain, that loves to bring your friends over when we can, and you like to cook with them and just have a day night or games night with your friends, if you're not comfortable with your home, you may not invite them over. And if you do, you're a little bit self-conscious and even apologetic. And using excuses like, oh, I haven't done anything here yet. I'm still figuring things out. I don't want to commit to this color. It's very valid. Those feelings are totally valid, but it's a reality. If you don't feel comfortable, you may not invite anyone. If you're working from home and you don't feel comfortable, you're going to take longer to start working. You're going to delay that process. You may be frustrated because you don't know where things are. You don't feel comfortable. Oh, I'm going to have a Zoom and I don't feel comfortable with the background. Let's see if I can have a screen or a filter or this. There's so many things that come from our surroundings that we need to acknowledge. And we need to be self-aware how our surroundings are affecting us and discover how we work better, how we cook better, how we entertain better, how we relax better. So that process of self-awareness has been heightened by COVID. It has brought everything up front. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, we've realized that our spaces are part of who we are and our moods. And the more we pay attention to that, the more we feel comfortable in our own skin at home. And that's not going to just fall from the sky or from pinning or from scrolling. It's going to come from being intentional and taking action. And yes, I am fully aware that not everybody can go out and spend a large amount of money changing everything brand new in their homes. For that, what you do is you create a vision and you strategize. As simple as that. 
but it needs to come from a space of being intentional and not waiting, like I said from the beginning, five years until I have the perfect budget, the perfect plan. <laughs> it may not come. Five years will come. What is true is that if you don't start planning today, in a year from today, you're still going to be in the same space. Thinking, where do I start? How much is it going to cost me? Will I like it? I'm not so sure. So take action today. Don't spend anything. Just plan it. Strategize and turn that space into a home that really nurtures who you are, where you want to come mm -hmm. home to. And just imagine that if everybody felt like, I want to go home because I love my home. Just picture that. That on its own, mm -hmm. it's powerful just to feel I love being at my home and I feel nurtured here and it serves me and my needs. Yeah. And like you've been saying, like that is a huge part of your self-care or the way that you practice self-care, whether that's hanging out with your family or reading a book or painting, whatever that looks like, you need to have a space to do those things. And if your space is not conducive to the things that you need for self-care, then you might hold off on doing that self-care, yes. which I think is such a great point. My last, I guess, question for you before we wrap up is, okay, so I'm listening to all of this and I'm thinking, wow, this sounds amazing. I'm overwhelmed. I know what I need to do, but I also have to work and I'm busy and you know, people have kids and lives. And so is that where you come in? Is that where your services are? Or Tell us a bit about your services and how you help homeowners in achieving this. Sure. I'm fully aware that there's this myth that interior designers are very expensive and hiring an interior designer is out of reach and it's for magazine picture perfect homes. That's not true. And I'm going to speak not just for myself, but on behalf of many designers that work and do things like I do. I have a flat fee. And I like flat fees because you come in knowing exactly how much you're going to pay and what you're going to get. So how I come in helping my clients, it varies. I give a free class for those who feel that they want to know more about how to be intentional. They want to know more about what's limiting them from taking action. They want to know more about this cycle of beliefs that prevent you from being intentional. So that's a free class that I give every month. Then the next level is an hourly rate. You can call me and I virtually go into your home. We tour everything. I just give you suggestions. You can change this or I validate ideas. I give feedback. I provide new ones. So I call it a design assessment because I go into your home and assess and give you ideas of what you can do, what's working, what's not working, what can be improved and how. And then you, you just implement as you want. And then the next level is a design strategy, which is what we'll be talking about, about strategizing. So I meet with clients on three different occasions virtually and we talk about the needs the mood what inspires them and then we come up with a layout and a mood board and they walk away with a shopping list a shopping list that they'll take for the next year or two years whatever their time frame at the time frame that they established at the beginning and they know what they need to buy they have a roadmap they have a clear vision it's a strategy at the end it's how i call it so there's different levels but i start with 
the the free class because I do believe that we need to become intentional. We need to start with our minds. We need to start by believing that having a home that you love is possible and that it's not reserved mm-hmm. just for big budgets, big pockets. It's affordable, but you got to be intentional mm-hmm. about it. Did that answer your question? I love that. Yeah, it did. And I guess my next follow-up question on that is, since you work virtually with clients, do you work with homeowners everywhere or what does that look like? Yeah. The beauty of virtual design is that I'm not limited geographically. I can work with anyone wherever they are. We meet online. That's another thing that COVID has changed. I think it's made us realize the amount of things that we could have already been doing from before. Mm-hmm. And interior design, even though I was doing uh, virtual design before, but now people realize, oh yeah, this is possible. And you can just take me on your phone and show me around. And photos and <laughs> videos are great for that. So I do meet virtually and I present the mood boards and, and the layouts and we start talking. Another advantage of, of a virtual design is that you get the recording. So if you want to review what was said, then you just have to watch the recording and say, oh yeah, that's what we agreed. Oh, again, that's why I shouldn't have an office downstairs because I'm going to be worried about my kids. So recordings are really good, which may not have happened if we meet in person. Yeah, that's really interesting. So to wrap up, is there one main takeaway that if people have listened to the episode and, you know, they've been thinking about all these things we've been talking about, but if there's one thing that you hope that they take away from everything we've discussed, what would that be? Big question, I know. Big, big (laughs) question. The main thing that I would like for everyone to do is become inspired to take action and stop fearing that it's not going to look good, that it's not going to be appropriate, that it's not going to be the right color. Things like that may happen. But if you become intentional and you plan things, you learn the right tools, then do it. Be intentional. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you one quick story to illustrate what I just said. I have a friend who's a photographer, really good photographer. She bought her first home almost two years ago, actually. And I went to her home last October because I was helping her with a photo shoot background. When I went to her home, Kaylee, her walls were bare. A year and a half after buying her home, I was expecting to see all her beautiful photos on her walls. Mm. There was nothing, nothing on her walls. So I asked her, why do you have anything on your walls? She was a little bit embarrassed. I didn't want to embarrass her, but she was. She says, well, I'm waiting to take the right photos and I want to buy these frames and I want to make sure how I display them. She's a photographer. Of course, she wants to display her best work, right? That's very normal and Mm -hmm. valid. But a year and a half into living there, it's a reminder that when we're waiting for things to be perfect, the perfect budget, the perfect plan, time passes by. Just imagine her walking into her house and seeing the photos of her kids, even if they were not the most perfectly taken photos and picture frames. It's got to make her happy because I know the other side. I know that other side of the Mm -hmm. spectrum where people walk in and go like, I love my wall. I love it. It makes me happy Mm -hmm. when I come in. So main takeaway, stop pinning and scrolling and dreaming 
take action, be intentional in creating a space that really, really nurtures you and serves you. Thank you.